welcome back to the Give Em Liam podcast. It's been a while. Been on about a six-week hiatus. And I apologise for that. I had to take some time off just to be there for my son. He turned one, but he's been pretty crook. Nothing too, nothing too serious, don't, don't stress. But I don't know if, if any of you guys have kids in daycare... Seems like every second week they bring something home with them. So I just haven't had the capacity, the time to put the podcast together to do everything that needs to be done. So I apologize, but I am back. Have to thank thecover.com.au, at thecoverau on Instagram, at thecoverau on TikTok. That's a new development. <laughs> Have to shout them out, get over there to the website. Look at the content, read the content, engage with some of the other content. There's podcasts, there's columns, there's some video stuff. Something for everyone, sort of. If you like rugby, league, union, you like basketball, NBL, NBA, there's something for you. <laughs> One day we'll diversify, I'm, I'm told. The other people we have to thank or other person we have to thank, not a person, riverside.fm, if you think we're what you would like to do is start a podcast with video. Forget about Zoom. Zoom's no good. Doesn't record high enough def definition. Sometimes it's choppy. Riverside.fm has everything that you need to do your podcast. High quality video. Records locally so if the internet does drop out, your guest and you will have the video feed on your devices and you can share them. So make sure if you want to do that, get across to the cover, click on the riverside.fm tile on the website because we get a little kickback. Today i got something a little bit different for you. I caught up with a gentleman by the name of Andy McClure. He wrote a book called Just Show Up and I really enjoyed the chat. But before we get to that, I will talk a little bit about some other stuff next week when I've got a bit more time. This chat took up, you know, a big chunk. I enjoyed it so much it went for a lot longer than I thought. So there'll be some additional stuff next week in the podcast, some rugby stuff, a little bit about Daniel Ricciardo, some other things that are going on. But I want to leave you with this thought. Hamish McLennan came out. Hamish McLennan, Rugby, rugby Australia CEO, uh, CEO, chairman, and stated that Australia is going to look to separate itself, potentially, 2023, run its own Super Rugby competition with two teams, Sydney, two teams, Brisbane, something like that. I'm not, I'm not against the idea, per se. But with my conspiracy theory hat on, we've just had a whole entire Australia A program, Correct. And I'm not discounting the achievement. I'm not discounting its merit because it does have merit. Matt Gibbon, great example, made his test debut on the weekend for the Wallabies, came through the Australia A program. I'm not sure that happens without it. But with my conspiracy theory hat on, there are now a lot of players who've come through the Australia A program, a lot of which who would have had eligibility to play for other countries, their eligibility is now locked in. 
the IRB reg states that the top two teams, if you participate for your national team or your nationals B or A or second team, that locks in your eligibility in the 15-a-side game. So what if the Australia A program is just a ploy to lock in eligibility for an additional 30, 40, 50, 60 players over the next, this year and next year, which will limit their options to play in Japan, to play in Europe, and to play for other nations. Thus, creating a larger player pool that has virtually no option but to play in Super Rugby Australia. On to my chat with Andy McClure. So I'm joined today by Andy McClure, uh, author of Just Show Up. How are you, Andy? We're good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming in. I appreciate the time, and I appreciate you working with the time difference. I know there's there's a pretty significant uh, significant gap between you and I, but I really appreciate you making the time. All good. Glad to be here. So I wanted to start with the book, and one one thing that really hit me hard. I, I'm a new father myself. I've, I've got a little little boy who's just turned one, and there was a line there in the summary where you said, "All all you wanted in life was to be there." for your girls and that it, it really hit hard for me because it's I, I, I truly believe that one of the hardest things to do is is to manage your time and balance life and all of those things but and people often fall into the trap of uh, prioritizing work or prioritizing other relationships over over the things that they're doing for their kids and I think people underestimate the impact of just showing up and being there for your kids things I would have to agree a hundred percent. And I've seen it at so many different levels. Uh, I have a, a huge background in athletics uh, still today. Um, it plays there, it plays at school, it plays at, you know, do your kids take on extracurricular activities, you know, music or drama or dance as, as a parent, do you show up? Yeah. Do you attend those events? Do you drive them to practice? Do you go to the parent-teacher conferences and talk to the teacher so that you're not getting it second or third hand as to how your son or daughter is uh, handling their studies? I think too many dads, and I'll put the blame there on dads, <laughs> um, that don't do that. They let mom go and, and handle that, and then they get a filtered answer versus being able to say, hey, your teacher told me this. Yeah. Your, your coach told me this. I talked to your band director. They told me this. And so you're giving yourself some credibility versus just reporting something that you heard. Mm. So show up. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, my, my, my dad, I, I, was a, I was a rugby player as a kid. I was, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the top athletes in my state and didn't quite progress to the, the professional level. But my dad was around... He, he he had to work. My mum my mom sacrificed her career so that he could work and she could look after us. You know, he wasn't around a lot, but to his credit, he did show up to all my games. He never missed a game from the time I was 
four or five years old to, to uh, you know, basically when I finished playing it at sort of 28, 29 years old, never missed a game. Um, but, you know, so he, he had this level, like you're talking about, that level of credibility, he had the level of credibility with my football, with my rugby, but not really with my studies, not really with my, you know, the music that I was doing, not really with, you know, my general demeanor around the house. And, and sometimes the relationship I had with him was a little bit confrontational because often the interactions that I had with him when he was around were either feedback sessions about my football or, you know, to, to, um, to come down on me about my grades or about my attendance at school. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't this give and take. It was a really one-sided kind of, kind of relationship. And I think part of that was because he wasn't around. So he was just getting the secondhand information and he didn't have the two sides of the story to really have an impact and, and make a decision about his reaction. Yes. And, and I grew up in a, in a house with four sisters. Um, my wife and I raised three daughters and, um, the next male that was born in our family was my grandson. who's coming up on two. Um, and so in 117 years, there's been four males <laughs> in my family, not a lot of guy time. <laughs> so, you know, my sisters got a lot of attention because they were girls with my mom. My dad traveled. Mm. My parents were separated. They ultimately divorced. And sure, my dad kept, showed up to our ball games. My senior year of high school, uh, our football team, American football, yep. um, progressed all the way to the state championship. We got beat, but uh, uh, we got there. So we made it all through the playoffs, had a great regular season, and he showed up at every game. In fact, there were times he would show up at practice. Yeah. And, and just kind of stand in the corner looking around watching. But eh, grades yeah. didn't talk academics. Girls didn't talk girls. Um, and so there was a lot of things I had to learn on my own. Mm. And uh, I was blessed uh, at the end of high school, into college, uh, a new pastor moved into our church. Uh, replacing a pastor it was interesting. Uh, this was in in Arizona, yep. so one went from Arizona to Michigan, and the other one went from Michigan to Arizona. Mm. I think it was an equal prisoner swap or something like that. <laughs> but no, bad joke. <laughs> and so um, they kind of took this couple who had boys my age, kind of took me under their wing and mentored and cared. Uh, for me over the next few years. In fact, that pastor ended up being the uh, senior officiant for our wedding. There was another gentleman that was part of it, but uh, he he did all the I do's and we're still in contact. He's in his mid eighties. Wow. Yeah. And um, he got a copy of the book here not long ago and sent me a very nice note. Um, and uh, sadly, his wife passed away about seven or eight years ago. Something she got sick very quickly and passed. Mm. And I went to the funeral from um, here in Colorado up to Michigan to be a part of that because of the impact that he had made on my life. Mm. That he just kind of shook his head, going, "Really, what did I do?" Yeah. <laughs> he stood there and threw an arm <laughs> over my shoulder and asked me a question or two, how things were going in life, mm. and. Um, you know, this has been an issue that's been on my heart for decades, 
the sad passing of my oldest daughter four years ago this month um, was the impetus to actually write the book. Yeah. And I wrote the book, uh, started about two months after her passing and wrote the book in about two weeks, about 95% of it. Made some adjustments along the way for the next six or eight months and then finally felt it was good enough to send it to a publisher and one of them picked it and we started working on the editing and the overall look and then COVID hit. Yeah. And so it sat for two years. Yeah. And um, it came out here in June. I used to be able to say last month, but now we're here on <laughs> yeah. the 1st of August. Can't say last month. Yeah. And um, I'm actually working with some folks that are donating monies to purchase the books for us to give to people. Wow. Uh, to learn the lesson that all across life, we're called to show up in the lives of people mm. uh, through grief, uh, through birth. Uh, the change or loss of a job, and then a whole lot of opportunities for us to show up in the lives of people and organizations that do this for others. You can help out with the Salvation Army or the local Animal Humane Society or um, other groups, the Little League or the Dance Club or the elementary school, all these places that you can go and help out and show up in those lives mm. to bless somebody else. It's it's really it's really underrated. It's you know people overlook it, but there are so many amazing organisations that allow you as someone you know maybe you have maybe you are a bit privileged or you know you you've had a really good career um, to really give back to your community. You know in Australia we have the Salvation Army as as you suggested we have we have a a really amazing charity here where I'm from called Men's Link, which is about effectively a mentoring service for um, older men who've who've had a, a who, who've had a life and had a career to mentor a younger man who who as you as you're saying perhaps didn't have you know didn't grow up in a traditional household or has come from a, a lower socioeconomic background and hasn't had access to things you know to really help guide them through some of the challenges of of becoming a man you know becoming an adult and sometimes I think if you don't seek those opportunities you you won't know about them so it is it is it is really good to hear that you're um, working with it with an organization to get this book out there because I think the message is really important um you know I, I like to think I'm the kind of friend I'm not I'm not the friend you party with I, I'm the friend you call you know with good news or 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 when or when you're going through it you know I'll sit on the phone with you for for a couple of hours if that's what it takes I'll, I'll come to your house and sit with you when when your life's falling apart and let's let's put the let's put the pieces back together. You know, I, I'm not the guy that's, that's going to go drinking with you, but that other stuff, like that's, that's, that's me. That's the kind of friend, friend that I am. Um, and I've got a few of those people in my life too. It, and you mentioned one that is so basic and, and, and simple. Sit on the phone and talk to somebody for a couple of hours. Mm. Well, here's some other basic, simple things you can do. So family down, two or three doors down uh, from you, uh, had a child, bring him dinner. Yeah. It's not a financial issue. Yeah. They dealing with this new baby. And if they have other children, they're dealing with them and the infant. Yep. And all of a sudden it's five o'clock in the afternoon and they go, yeah, we haven't, we eaten. didn't plan dinner. <laughs> well, yeah. Plan dinner yeah. here in the United States. I don't know if you have it in Australia. They have a thing called meal train. Oh yeah. Okay. And so you can go online 
with the people's names and maybe a phone number or something. And you can sign up to bring a meal. Wow. Yeah. When some of these groups used to first started, it was they would organize people to serve me or bring meals every day. Well, after about three days, you've got a whole lot of leftovers. Mm. And so when Whitney passed and for the week between the night she passed or the afternoon she passed to the day of her funeral, we had people showing up with food day after day. Yeah. Not complaining. Yeah. But at one point I had like six or seven of those rotisserie chickens that come in a plastic bubble. Yeah. yeah. I had a flock of chickens <laughs> in my refrigerator, yeah. not complaining, not yeah. poo-pooing it. It's okay. We need to have a more organized method of doing this. Mm. So there are online services that you can use and they only have people sign up maybe every other day or every third day. Yeah. Uh, we, it, it took us, my wife, several, several minutes trying to find a date. Um, sadly, we had a, a um, horrific crash and death uh, a few days ago in this area yeah. with high school kids that were all oh, part of man. a soccer team. And, yeah. uh, I did not know the young man that passed. I was asked by some organizers if I would lead, lead the candlelight vigil that took place Saturday? Mm. Saturday night. Yes, I had some days, some weeks are a blur. And of the high school, over 800, or about 600 people showed up. Wow. And so I came home. My wife was already in bed. The next morning before church, we looked at the website and she had a hard time finding a date. Mm. People yeah. showed up. Yeah. So you have that death, you bring a meal, come over, wipe down people's kitchen counters, their bathrooms. If there's a pile of clean clothes, fold them and put them away for, for mm. them. Uh, other issues to consider, at least it is for this time of the year. I here in my office, um, I can look out a window, and uh, we work. At, I work out of my house. Mm. Is all the green grass and all the trees and, and and such. If you don't have a service or you don't have an HOA that that does that for you, drag your lawnmower over, or if they have one, open the garage, pull the lawnmower out, trim the grass, trim the trees, do whatever you need to do throw all the stuff away and go home. Yeah. You don't have to tell them it was you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it took you 30, 40 minutes to, you know, my front lawn's very small. My backyard's even just as small and um, mow that lawn. Mm. You know, if it's winter time, being north of Denver, we have this thing called snow. <laughs> and it piled up. I've heard of that. <laughs> yes. You've heard about it. Yeah. You've heard about it. <laughs> I, I saw it on a spelling test at elementary school. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, get your shovel out, bring it with you, your favorite, and clear their sidewalk, clear mm. their driveway, throw it into the side yard. It'll all melt and go away soon. But little simple things you can do for people that are dealing with grief and people dealing with just hardships in life mm. that you can show up and do those things for them. Mm. I, and I think it, it the the little things in life often make the biggest impact, and I'm sure you've seen that across your work with athletes, across your work in in announcing and that thing. It's it's those little tiny one percent things that make the biggest difference. It, you know, for athletes, it, and this is where uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this American cliche: "Proof's in the pudding." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how good is the pudding? Well, taste it. Yeah. If it is yuck, forget it. And that is, uh, I've done what I do as a hobby job for the NCAA here in the U.S. 
and for other NCAA and adult and professional level uh, athletics around the world mm. over the last 25, 30 years. And it's amazing when you get there early and somebody comes out to get loose or, you know, shoot around or take some extra swings in the batting cage or whatever, that you can catch them for five minutes. Mm. And, and all you're doing is creating a relationship yep. that you can trust me. I'm going to sit here and just try to be your friend. I'm old enough to be <sighs> definitely your father. Yeah. But I'm 61 and, you know, maybe not a college kid as a grandchild yet. Yeah. You know, we all would have had to have kids at the age of 15. Yeah. Um, and so you develop a relationship so that when they then have an issue, mm. they know who to call. Mm. They know who to wait for at the ball game mm. and say, hey, I, this, this just happened. What do you think? And the blessing for me is. I've gotten phone calls from many college athletes. Hey, could you marry so cool. my girlfriend and I off? Yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and you're in tears. And, and, you know, I've had several of those. Even take it up the next step, I had um, a college uh, volleyball girl and married she and her husband off. And then his mother calls me. <laughs> She'd been married a time or two before, a little yeah. bit older than I. And she was going to get married again and asked could i do that wow you made that kind of impact yeah could you do this yeah and it's like okay how do you bless others mm. and what did it cost me on any of those things my time my time yep yeah it's 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 amazing and it's i, I love that you mentioned the building the relationship with the athlete you know i think one one of the things i see here in in Australia, we, we have a very different system to you. We have a sort of clubs-based system and a professional system. So it's a sort of amateur club. Some clubs are semi-professional, but but there's not a huge money in that aspect. And and so it's kind of like AAU, but for adults, like AAU tournaments for mm -hmm. adults almost. And so, but one thing I, I noticed, the, the professional stuff is what's on the on the TV. And, and the guys who are in the booth, ex-players, um, legends of the game usually but a lot of them don't seem to take the time to to walk around and interact with with the young athletes with the guys coming up so they're always very quick to go to the negative you know they're always very quick to to pass off judgment to pass off feedback and i go to the games i, I watch all the games i go to all the games for our team here the brumbies and i don't see the commentators down on the field you know when the guys come out to stretch and warm up i don't see them walking around um, you know, they're up in the booth watching them. So for me, it's, it's you know, when I go, because I'm a bit of a tragic, I watch the game live and then I come home and watch it again on the TV. <laughs> Maybe it'll change. Yeah. So Maybe it, that missed you pay. Yeah, you know? yeah. You got it. You got it. So it's, it's hard for me to listen to them sometimes because – they, they, they do, the, the, the commentary is always really quick to the negative. And sometimes I think, you know, you don't know what's going on in that guy's life. You know, you, 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 don't, you don't know what, what he's done to prepare or what he's doing, you know, what he's working on currently, you know, what, what, what feedback the coach has, has given him, you know, so maybe what you see is not what the coach has asked him to do because you haven't done the work to, to talk to the coach or talk to the player. So it, it is really hard for me sometimes to listen to it. Um, and so it's really cool to hear you, someone who, 
you know, you, you talk about it being a side hustle. It's not your it's not your full time vocation to be putting in that extra work to get to know the athlete. Exactly. And some of this even comes from coaches. Mm. So you get to know the coach and because they're dealing with. And I'll say this young people on the floor, on the field, they may be 18 to 22 years old. Mm. They look like adults. <laughs> Their bodies look like adults, but you get them off the field and they're knuckleheads. Yeah. They're 18 to 22 years old. I've had three of those pass through this house. <laughs> I was that. Yeah. And so a head coach, this is life and death for them because it's their job. It's their career. They probably don't have a lot of options to go into other businesses and make some of the money that they make. Mm. So they're going to be hard on Billy or Susie, depending on what kind of team or sport they have, because they need them to be the best. Mm. And yes, while that's true, the only way you're ever going to get the best out of somebody is when you truly know them and you know how to motivate them in a good, positive way. Mm. We started an award at a university that I announced for, and it's named after my daughter. It's Whitney Lee, um, Grit, True Grit uh, uh, Award. And this is for the young man or the young lady that has overcome major issues, injury on themselves, death in a family, uh, divorce of parents, uh, maybe grandma or grandpa were such an impactful part of their life that they really had great influence. And so every year there seems to be a student or two that really shine through all the adversity. And this is a way of saying, way to, way, way to endure, yeah. way to, to keep fighting and to stand up and continue to do it and encourage the next person mm -hmm. to do it. Because you know what? There is a next person. Yeah. There will always be a next person. And so um, we've done that. Uh, I've had some, my family at times be able to be for some of those presentations. And um, as you're reading the reason why you're just weeping mm. because you're so proud of somebody overcoming and you recognized it. Mm. And, and that doesn't happen enough in the world, you know, recognizing people for, for fighting through adversity. Yeah. Sure, we get the occasional talk host, talk host guest, you know, who's overcome something and written a book about it. But the only reason we're hearing about it is because they've written a book about it or someone's made a movie about it. You know, adversity happens everywhere and particularly when young people face it, it's the first time that they're facing it. It's, it's, and, and often, you know, it is the loss of a parent, you know, at, at 19 years old to lose a parent. So now you've got to navigate this big, scary world at 19 years old without your father or without your mother, you know, the, the support network that you, that you've been given at, at, at birth. And we don't recognize those stories enough and we don't recognize those people enough because it's, you know, the, it's really easy to just give up and go, Oh, well, my life's over. I'm going to, I'm going to quit on everything and I'm going to go home. You know, we hear mm -hmm. that story a lot. We see that story a lot, but for those individuals it who really fight and, and work through the adversity and come out the other side, better people. I think we should recognize those people. And, and we should 
look for them. Yeah. What do I mean? So I work for several NCAA connected universities here in the state of Colorado and um, division one, division two. And I always look on the roster to find a kid or two that have traveled the furthest. Maybe they're foreign kids. And I could tell you, uh, one of the Division II schools here in Denver, there's been many Australians mm. that have played basketball there. Mm. Names that I, I think you would know. Mm. Um, one that was on the gold, uh, the no, the bronze medal Olympic team. Yep. Uh, center kid named Nick K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another pro just won an MVP in a tournament that just played named Mitch McCarron. Yep, yep. And Mitch has been an all-star. Mitch was the Division II Player of the Year, his senior year. Here, I'm thinking Mitch is a Mitch and Nick played together. They're about 30. Yep. So you find those kids that maybe travel the furthest away, and you know they're not going to see mom and dad mm. or their siblings, maybe until the end of the school year. Mm. Maybe mom and dad can make it to come see a game or two or three. If you're traveling that far, you might as well stick around for a few games. Yeah. So this equates to the same at the professional level and if they're young. And so maybe you don't have a foreign student. Maybe you have kids that come from, you know, we're in the Rocky Mountain region, uh, much more Western, but somebody from the East Coast of the U.S., you mm. know, New York, or Florida or the Carolinas or any of those places. And you just watch out for them. Yep. Because you know they're far away from home. And if you come from Florida, you probably didn't pack a lot of snow gear. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah. no, no. We're not just wearing a long sleeve shirt. It's eight degrees outside and snow is falling. Yeah. You need a big jacket and you need gloves and you need a hat. And so, yes, you could find groups that can help donate those. You got to be careful about giving stuff to collegiate athletes so that it's not viewed illegally. Mm. And I, and I totally understand that, but watch out for them because they may not see mom and dad, Mm. uh, outstanding young girls just finished up her college career, uh, at that school. Dad, um, lives in Michigan Mm. and in her years in Denver, I saw him at one one weekend, one I say weekend because they tend to play conference games on Friday nights and Saturdays. Nice guy, but I heard enough. Yep. Um, he might be somebody people have heard of, but I, I won't go that far. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what guy, not trying to date her, mm. is looking out for her, mm. being a thousand miles, twelve hundred miles away from home. Mm. Nobody. Mm. Um, and so we can do that. And, and, and let's look at the youth leagues. You know, yeah. Bob's coaching soccer or lacrosse or something, and he's got 8, 10, 12-year-olds. And maybe you've got a couple of kids in your team that dad's not in the house. They're separated or they're divorced or maybe they never were married and he disappeared. Can you be that father figure for a few hours of the week? Arm over the shoulder. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? How's school going? You know, you told me you had a big thing coming up. How did that project go? Just listening and and, and speaking into their life. What did it cost you? Yeah. Your time. Yep. 
And so there's so much that can be done and showing up in the lives of others. And you then walk around for the rest of your life, going to the grocery store or the car wash or wherever it is. And you see these kids and it's, Hey coach, how you doing? Yeah. Hey yeah. coach, how you doing? Yeah. You've always got that. Hey coach mm. coming back at you. Mm. Which is, which is amazing, you know, and, and, and I, I, you really hit a, a point that I really liked a little bit earlier where you said, you know, you can't really look out for your athletes, motivate your athletes if you don't know them, if you don't understand them and you don't spend the time talking to them. And as you say, you know, someone who's, someone who's traveled from internationally or traveled a thousand miles to take on a, a scholarship or, or even walk on at a university as a non-scholarship athlete you already know there's a level of commitment there because they've left everything they know behind. So then as a coach, you know, your job isn't actually to motivate them from a, you know, from showing up, getting to practice, do it, doing those things. You know that that's ingrained because that's why they left. You, you, you now have a, have a, a duty to look out for them because they don't have their parents. They don't have their siblings around. They don't have their support network. So you become that support network. And as you say, you can't be that person if you don't listen to them you don't ask the right questions, you know, and sometimes it could just be sitting there when they're struggling with the class and, and working through it with them. You know, it could be as simple as that. Um, I've seen that, you know, here, here I, I used to work at a university um, as part of the sports department and I've seen the impact that that's had on, on an athlete just sitting, sitting there with them with their textbook and their computer open and just talking about a math problem has a huge impact. Um, again, back to the, the little things. Yes. And even if I'm not a math whiz, I can at least sit there with them and read the book from maybe the beginning of the chapter on whatever the, the equations are that you're being tested on or that you're trying to learn and learn a couple of things. Mm. And keep in mind, OK, me personally, yes, I have a bachelor's degree. Yes, I have a master's degree. I should be able to figure this out. Mm at least enough to help them move the needle a little bit. And so um, even if you don't make them an A-plus student, they're going to go, you know what? I could have been a D, mm. could have been an F, but I got to a C-plus. Yeah. I got to a B. And the one thing that the average person doesn't understand in collegiate athletics here in the U.S., which – I mean, there's there's thousands of competing universities, NCAA Division One, Two, Three. There's the NAIA. There's all the junior college stuff. There's some small conference things that kind of govern themselves. So there's thousands. Is the number one thing, and, and most schools at the Division Two and One level, is they have uh, tutors or academic advisors, but also compliance people. Mm. And what do I mean by compliance people? They make sure that you stay eligible. Mm, right. You get the good grades, yeah. good enough to play. Mm. And um, so it's complicated. Mm. And so for the average fan watching and they go, hey, weren't they supposed to get this kid over here that's, you know, yeah. this great athlete? 
Well, maybe they just didn't have the academics to get there. And those people tried and tried. And maybe the athlete tried themselves, just couldn't do it. Or maybe they just didn't care. They just wanted Mm. to play ball. Great. Yeah. You can still play ball, but you're probably going to play in the adult rec leagues. Or if you need to try out maybe in Europe or Australia or or South America, maybe you do. Yeah. And you can still play, but it's not what you wanted. No. So there are people, if you ask, that could come alongside and help. I I mentioned this about coaches, that I've got, I get phone calls Mm. from coaches, college coaches. Hey, can you give so-and-so a call? I've talked to them. You know, their grandfather just passed away. We've chatted, uh, but they're just kind of in a major funk. They're kind of in a depression. Can you just talk to them, cheer them up? That's simple. Mm. Um, I've I've made a couple of jokes here today. Um, <laughs> I've limited myself in that. Um, I don't want your audience to think that Americans are all just goofballs. <laughs> but um, and so, can you make somebody chuckle? Yeah. Can you make somebody put a smile on their face? And sometimes it's just that simple. Mm. Yeah, it re- it really is, you know, and and it's. As you say, it's such it's such a small investment. There's no financial investment. It's maybe an hour of your time to put a smile on someone's face to make them feel better, and maybe you know they walk away from that conversation having learnt something from you, and they pass that on to someone else. Or you know they're thinking about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go to practice today. They have that conversation with you, and all of a sudden they've got a they've got a bit of energy. They've got a spark of energy. Like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go lift that weight. I'm going to go shoot around. I'm you know. I, um, I can refocus myself now. I'm good to go. We I think, he, yeah. Sorry, you go. Go ahead. Sorry, we yeah. we we undervalue the the as humans, we undervalue the impact that we can have on someone else. Here, here's something again. Cost you nothing. That I started when my girls were little, and that is, I do most of the cooking here at home on purpose. Uh, so that means I go grocery shopping. So if I'm going to go grocery shopping or I'm going to go to Home Depot and get something to fix the fence or something in the house, I would take one, two, if they're all available, all three girls with me. Yep. And my wife questioned it at first. You know, can you not go shopping by yourself? No, it's not that. It's because there are so many life lessons that can happen in that car trip from Mm -hmm. point A to point B while you're shopping. And then on the way home, mm. you see something and go, hey, did you just, just notice that? Mm. Da, 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 whatever that is. What do you think of that? And they would talk and share back. Mm. Why? Because they're learning life lessons along the journey. Mm. It's one thing if you just want to take your child and set them down and have that conversation with them. They may be, oh, jeez. <laughs> Not dad again. Oh, dad, you've said this thing 27 times. Yeah. But you might be able to say it again when you're in the car Mm. going to get groceries. And it's like, why is this $4? And the same exact thing, another brand is $2. Mm. Why is that? Mm. I don't know, dad. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's figure that out. And so you're learning life lessons. And I, I don't know why those two items were as they were, but <laughs> yeah. they were conversations. Yeah. And so 
Casey, my youngest, who's a high school teacher and a basketball coach herself, um, she and I, when we go, man, we don't now because she got married here about a month ago. Yeah. So she doesn't at home or have the free time she used to have. Yeah. But we would go to the grocery store and stage photos you could take on your phone. Mm. And goofy, stupid little things like hiding in the clothes rack or going down the sporting goods aisle and she's dribbling a ball with her knees or taking batting practice with a bat and ball. Why? Why would you share that experience? Why would you do that? It's because next week, next year, five years from now, she's going to remember dad listens when I have issues Mm. and we have fun so he'll probably again listen and we'll have fun in the process learning something Mm. i I have two son-in-laws that i take to breakfast try to every month it doesn't always happen just to talk life why Mm. because i want them to be able to call me when there's a big issue Mm. and that happened Uh, i used to have three son-in-laws yeah um the one that he uh was married to my daughter. They would have been married seven years now mm. when Whitney passed. He called at 5.15 in the morning to tell us. Yeah, Whitney stopped breathing. Mm. And his normal MO would have been call 911, get emergency assistance to come and take care of her, get to where he had to be at the hospital, mm. and then call us. Yeah. No, he called on the front end. Yeah. We were able to get going, yeah. get there to the hospital, and support him mm. while they were treating her. Mm. And um, she survived about four hours mm. after they got her to the hospital. And um, But it was, it was something that he had learned. Hey, Andy cares about me. Mm. Andy has shown up in my life many times. I'm comfortable giving him a call and saying, Whitney, stop breathing. Mm. What I what I what really strikes me there is you have obviously throughout your daughter's lives you have made a huge effort to create an environment where your daughters feel really comfortable expressing themselves to you expressing their opinions you know having robust discussion about something in within a mundane environment you know within the car within the within the supermarket you know, and I assume, you know, you carried that on at home as well. Because I think one thing that often parents do and, and I see I see this a lot is is they you know, they put their parents in the they sorry, they put their child in the in the uh, in the trolley or the and and say, Sit there, don't touch anything, don't look at anything, don't say anything, you know. Whereas you've created this environment where, you know, you're walking through, you're having fun, all of a sudden grocery shopping's a fun activity because, you know, me as a as a kid I get to learn about the prices of things. I get to ask questions. I get to look at look at the different colors and, you know, why is that cereal box that color and that one that color? It becomes this really cerebral learning fun activity. So, it's, it, yeah, it really warms my heart to to see that you've invested that time and, and then also with your with your son-in-laws to do to do the same thing. You know, when, when you're talking to them, there's no ulterior motive. It's I just want to know how you're going. I, you know, I want to develop a relationship with you it's it yeah hats off to you because it's it's yeah sounds sounds like you had a really amazing you you provided a really amazing environment for your for your daughters to grow up in and that was 
intentional. Yeah. And everything we've talked about here today is intentional. Mm. You, you have to have the heart and the mindset to say, I'm not just going to be dad by title. Yep. I'm not just going to be father by title. And it's the same way now with my grandson. Um, I could, but it would be really cheesy if I pulled up pictures on my phone. And showed <laughs> you. you know, the, the young man is still only one. He'll be two here in a couple of weeks, but he talks as much as his grandfather. Yeah, He just doesn't get paid for it. Yet. <laughs> so we, uh, he's, he spends the night here a few nights out of the month because of work situations and, and travel situations with his mom and dad, yep. which I can do this. You, can <laughs> you see the picture of yeah, the yeah. guy and the gal? Yeah. That's his parent. Wow. They were both uh, big time uh, bodybuilding competitors a yeah. few years ago. Then then the grandson came along and they were like, yeah, yeah. We can't do this. <laughs> so, um, so, but he's here. Yeah. And so we play and we do and we talk. And uh, Saturday we we were going to go uh, run an errand or two and then go swimming at the, the rec center up the road. And we got there way too early for the rec center. They weren't opening for free swim for a while. So what did, we had to do something. Mm. So we went to McDonald's and I knew the kid would eat some more. So got him some more food. And then we went to the little play area and he's climbing the slides and up and down. Papa, watch me, watch me, Papa. And uh, did that. Then we went swimming and we spent an hour and 20 minutes in the pool. Just one more time. Just one more time. Papa. Come on, Papa. Just one more time. And again, he's one. And he's having these conversations. But when I'm no longer here and I'm not planning to die anytime soon, I want him to have those memories mm. buried in his heart. Mm. I had a grandfather that watched over me. Mm. I had a grandfather who prayed for me. Yep. I had a grandfather who fed me mm. and talked to me and changed my diaper and gave me baths. Yep. And this to all grandparents out there, you don't have them long because our lives on this earth are limited. Mm. And my, my hope and my prayer is that I get to see him graduate from high school and college and meet a girl and get married. And if I'm mentally capable to be able to officiate that wedding, mm. um, I do a lot of weddings and a lot of funerals and, and it's, it's heartbreaking mm. at the funerals, but you know, such a blessing to do weddings for, for couples that come to you and say, Hey, yeah. You made an impact. Can you do this for us? And I already talked about the athletes. Yeah. But um, is that grandkids would be able to fondly mm. go, yeah, my grandfather, my grandmother, and my mom, my mom, my wife, his nana. Mm. Oh, the thing she does with him, mm. it's not a competition. It's just showing up in his life. And I've watched too many grandparents that the grandchild is handed, oh, love you. Okay, yeah, here you go. Back. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you as grandparents have experience and knowledge of things to teach those kids mm. from firsthand experience. Mm. You know, how do you mow the lawn? How do you trim a tree? How do you change the light bulb? <laughs> you know, it sounds simple. 
Yeah. But really, you know, how do you how do you do all of these different things? And you can teach them that. Mm. His his father has said to me, you know, I need you to teach me some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. How you can do I'm pretty handy. And yeah, I got this band-aid on my <laughs> finger making dinner two nights ago. I thought I was gonna cut my finger off. Yeah. Oh well, it will survive. Yeah. Uh I'm 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 an old guy who's married, so I don't have anybody to impress having a you know, a scar <laughs> on my finger. Uh, you can see the scar on my nose. That goes back 10 years ago, wrestling with some kids. And a kid jumped over the back of me and drove my glasses into my nose and <laughs> scooped out some skin. Wow. Hey, yeah. wow. <laughs> still, that kid brings that up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're fine. Yeah. You're fine. We've all I, moved I, on. I We've all moved on. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Let's just keep going. Uh, and so yeah, sorry. be that grandparent and teach them the things you learned. Because right now, I can tell you it's because the real job, my wife and I run a, a, an educational nonprofit. And uh, when I was a kid, we had shop classes. We learned how to deal with wood and metals and auto bodies and all of this. Today, they don't. Nah. They learn how to do this. Yeah. And, and we need that. But the example that I give is I had to have somebody come in and fix a piece of plumbing at, in our house. I didn't have the tools for it. He came, he did it. And I asked him, what's the average age of plumbers and technicians in your company? It was a big company. And he looks at me and he goes, ah, 53. I go, where are the 20, 30 and 40 somethings? He goes, yeah. Because they were not taught something as a young kid with an interest to do that. Yep. And so show up in lives of your kids. And if they never turn that into a profession, they've at least learned a skill. A hundred percent. And I, I have really fond memories of my grandfather. Harold was his name. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant golfer. And I, I still play golf. But he and I spent hours and hours just on, on the driving range, on the practice holes at, at the course that he played at. And he... I didn't realize at the time, but he was teaching me about life on, on the golf course. And the beautiful thing for me about golf is that now when I play, when I have a golf club in my hand, I can hear his voice. You know, I can hear, hear him teaching me, teaching me about life or teaching me about the swing or, you know, when I'm visualizing a shot, I can hear him talk about the type of shot that he would play. So I have this amazing connection to my grandfather still because of all the time we spent together on the golf course. And so, you know, he, he was a very softly spoken man, very smart, very, you know, he, he there's, there's plenty of stories of him. You know, he, he used to, he was an engineer uh, by trade in, in World War II, and he used to pull apart cars and put them back together for fun. You know, that was, that was what he did. So very intelligent man, but, you know, he was a man of few words, but he, he spent so much time with me you know, just, just doing things that I like to do because, you know, because he could, and, and it was just a time investment for him. He was happy to do it. And so now when I think of him, I have such fond memories of him. I would give you a challenge here, Liam, and that is uh, pull out a notebook. Mm. Don't do it on just plain scratch paper. Uh, I'll explain why here in a second and write some of those things down. Okay. Because there's going to come a day that your little one-year-old is did you say his name was Harry? No, Santiago is his name. Oh, yeah. 
Santiago, where did I get yeah, here? I <laughs> Santiago, okay. Um, that you're going to be in a situation with Santiago and you go, yeah. My grandfather told me something about that. Go back, review the memory, and then you can yeah. share it at an appropriate time because it was appropriate at the moment. Mm. Why I say don't do it on scraps of paper. Uh, I wrote the book that I told you I wrote, and it was finished. And my wife told me book two could not be touched until book one got into print. Right. So June 9th, Just Show Up appeared in print. I was involved in a wedding in Missouri when all of this happened. And so I couldn't do anything with it. I got home and I could start book two. The book two is titled From My Side of the Mic. So it's all these years of, of ball games. It's all these years of ministry in funerals and in weddings. It's all these years of in radio. Yep. I spent um, 10 years in broadcast. and. I would write all these things down on a little scrap of paper, some little story. And then I would find them six or eight months later in, in shoved into a book as a bookmark or found in my, my <laughs> briefcase or my travel bag or a backpack. And I'm like, how many of those little stories did I lose? Lose, yeah. So I started about 10 years ago taking all of those and typing them in a running order to just have the notes. Mm. And so when I'm at something and, and I'll name drop here for a moment, I got several of them this time last summer, I was blessed to work uh, the Tokyo Olympics and in a culture that is so different than who I am. Mm. And so different than America in a lot of ways. And I wrote those on a slip of paper and kept it running for three weeks while I was there. And when I came home, put them on the computer, so that I had a lasting listing yep. of all of those things. Yep. And so I would challenge you to write them down okay, and then transfer them to something permanent so that you have those lessons mm. to be able to share with Santiago and any other McGraths that come along. <laughs> Hopefully there's here. a few more. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> I, I share that with my daughters, you know, one grandchild, he's a, an amazing kid, but I'd like to see two or three or four or five. Yeah. More amazing. <laughs> before before I let you go, I I did want to ask you about the the Tokyo Olympics because it was obviously you know as a as someone looking at it from the outside, it was very different to any other Olympics that's ever been been held. What what was that experience like for you in, in the bubble with with the athletes and and you know soaking it all in? As you mentioned, a very different culture to 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 what you're used to. It was not only a different culture, but it was also a completely different mindset for everybody in the world because it was COVID. Yeah. You know, we were a month out and it really came down to will they hold it or not? Yeah. And I always had in my heart that Tokyo, Japan, all of the organizers had to. They had spent billions. Yeah. And the only way they're going to make money back to pay for all these venues and all of this stuff is the television money because they weren't going to sell tickets. I worked in the Ariaki arena, men and women's volleyball, and you walk in the first day and there's practice going on. Okay. But the arena is empty mm. and you kind of expect it, but day one, a competition, the arena is still empty. Yeah. <laughs> 15,000 seats and no one's sitting in. Them. Yeah. 
and I don't know, you know, if this is the same for other announcers, and I believe it is, is that you kind of play off the play and the crowd's reaction. Mm. If there's not much crowd response, you just give it a, a basic generic call. Mm. Kill scored by so-and-so mm. for the U.S. Yep. If it's a big kill and the crowd's up and, and doing, you're up and doing as well. Yeah. You can make that. So culturally, really different in that aspect of sport. Yeah. Um, staying in a hotel room, having car service take you to the arena, your <laughs> venue, and then back to your hotel. You didn't get to get out and walk the streets. You didn't get to get out and go check all the little restaurants and all the little shops. Mm. When I got back, depending on what time of day it was, if we had night matches or not, you had 15 minutes to leave your hotel, race over to get something to eat and race back. Wow. 15 minutes. Yeah. What are you going to get? Mm. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> there was one, two blocks over. I ate there a whole time. Why? Because it was the only place I could go there and back quickly. Yeah. And so that um, the only real life uh, semblance was was going to the commissary in the World uh, Communication Center that was run by the U.S. Um, and um, NBC, which is who I work for. Yep. Um, and you would see hundreds of people all over the world and all over the country there. Some people you recognized, others were just doing their job like you. Mm. And so that was semi-normal. But as soon as you stepped out of that building, masks are on yeah. and you're having to distance. And it was very surreal. Mm. Um, it was a huge blessing. And I have pictures of, of the rest of my group that I was with standing on the court with nobody around us. Wow. Just bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping uh, I've reached out to Paris. Los Angeles has already reached out to me. So maybe we get to do it again. Be a lot of fun. I'm sure. Yes. Especially with the crowd back and, and the noise and, and the fanfare and all of that. I think, you know, I think that, that was, that was the biggest thing that I missed personally, you know, through, throughout COVID, but, but particularly the Olympics just watching sports without the crowd noise, it's just it's it's just totally different. And I can certainly appreciate, you know, it's hard to hype yourself up as a as an announcer if you've got nothing coming back to you. You know, you, there's, you can obviously see the players are getting excited about it or the athletes are getting excited about it. But yeah, the just the atmosphere from the crowd to not have that, it was very it was just very strange, a very different way to watch and consume sport. And one thing, and, and I know you need to go. One thing that I think happened was doing it the way we did it shortened yeah. the actual running time of events because if there's a great play and the crowd goes nuts, the officials are going to wait yeah. until the energy dies down. Mm. Okay, people yeah. are back in their seats mm. and here we go, you know, next service versus none of that, we're moving along. Yeah. And so to a point, we moved quicker in matches mm. than we would if there was a crowd. But but it's one of those things you don't think about no. until you're in it. Yeah. So to me, it was quicker matches because there was no crowd response yeah. that the officials waited to die down. Yeah. And it probably, in a way, allowed the athletes to be more focused so that, you know, even if it was a big play, it's like big play, 
happy, done, got the point, let's move on, next next job. Whereas, you know, when there is a crowd and there is, you know, all this going on, you know, I see it, I do definitely see it, athletes get a little bit sucked up in that moment and it might take them a little minute to get back and focus. But for many of them, that's a good portion yeah. of why they're playing. Totally. Yeah. If you just wanted to play sport for sport, then play at the local rec league yeah. that the only people in the stands are three girlfriends <laughs> and a couple of people that just stumbled along. Oh, oh there's a game here. Let's yeah. watch that. <laughs> but when you've got 15,000 people there, since you were a little kid, you're going, oh, wow. Yeah. This is what I have been busting my tail on yep. for the last 20 years to yep. get to this. And then this wasn't there. Yep. And on that note, Andy, I'll, I will let you go. So please people to the listeners, just show up by Andy McClure. You can get it in Australia on amazon.com.au. You can get the paperback, you can get the hardcover, or you can get it on your Kindle. So make sure you do that. I, I'm going to say to you on air so that my listeners hold me accountable. I'm, I would like to buy some copies and send them to the organization you're working with so that we can get the book out in out in the uh, out in the ether. So I'll I'll contact you offline and and we'll and I'll I'll put some money in to make sure we can get that get that going, make sure that happens. Great. And uh, thank you very much for your time and yeah, all all the best. Liam, thank you so much. Uh, we we're hoping to make our way to Australia. I have been in contact with FIFA. Uh, hoping to maybe do some soccer coming up and love to I'm really shooting for the Perth area. I'm not sure where you're located, uh, but we will make our way east to west or in this case, probably west to east uh, across the country. We have some uh, dear friends in Perth. And so we want to see them, but also work there and see some of those basketball guys that I mentioned. Yeah. Well, if, if you make it out, Send me an email, look me up, we'll we'll make it we'll make it work. We'll make something happen. Sounds good. Liam, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. All the best. Thank you, Andy. Really enjoyed that one. That was a good one. Hopefully I get to see you with the Women's World Cup, Soccer World Cup, Football World Cup coming up. So hopefully I get to see you in Australia. But if not, good luck with it all. Thank you for your time. I look forward to reading the book and I look forward to donating a couple of books to, you know, get it out into the into the uh, lexicon. So thank you very much. That's all I've got for today. Thank you to the cover. They are brilliant. They're doing amazing things here with their content, with all the support that they're providing us. So thank you very much to them. Thank you very much to Riverside. Click on that tile, start a podcast, send admin at thecover.com.au an email. Maybe they'll pick it up if it's any good. Enjoy your week, everyone. I will see you next week. You'll hear from me next week. I won't see you. You might see me. 